All right. Well, hello and welcome to another Pharmacy Practice podcast. Uh, VIP, <laughs> VIP pharmacy uh, colleague with us today. So Janice Perkins, who many, many folk in pharmacy circles will know very well. So Janice, amongst other things, was um, superintendent pharmacist uh, at Well for quite a number of years. And I think I'll just leave it to Janice to introduce some of the other things you've been doing, but you've got interests across community pharmacy particularly, and she, she she's done a lot of work in patient safety. Um, she, I think she's working with the RPS now to, to develop uh, or advise on community pharmacy, and she's got some other interest and um, roles that she's taken up since she's left well. So Janice, morning. I, I, think, I think I'll let you introduce and and tell us how what's your journey to to um chatting to me today oh thanks jonathan and thanks for the opportunity to come on the podcast so yeah so yeah. yes i'm johnny i'm janice perkins um up until about 18 months or so ago i was the superintendent at well which many of you'll know used to be the cooperative pharmacy so I've spent my whole career in community pharmacy. That's always been the place that I've wanted to wanted to work. Um, like a lot of people, started out as a as a vacational student. I did my what was then the pre-reg year at Boots and spent a, a large number of years working with Boots where I had absolutely fabulous training. Mm. I did management experience. I did professional development roles. I did field roles. I did branch-based roles. Um, and, and that really gave me a great grounding in community pharmacy, albeit at a time when community pharmacy was different than, than it is that it is now. Um, I then left Boots, went to work at the cooperative pharmacy, doing initially um, a regional stroke divisional type role. And then quite soon after joining at the cooperative, I became the pharmacy superintendent. And then I've been the pharmacy superintendent um, or was the pharmacy superintendent at the co-op stroke well um, for about 18, 18 years. Um, and people say to me, well, you're in the same role for a, for a huge amount of time. But actually, although the title was say the same, the role of pharmacy superintendent changed hugely over that period of time, as really did community pharmacy, as many of you will know. So it's been it's been an absolute honor to um, to oversee that that transition and the things that have always floated floated my boat really within the community pharmacy environment and particularly in my role as superintendent has been the patient safety type work the helping people to be the best version of themselves so trying to simplify standards put frameworks in place to remove those burdens that sometimes community pharmacists feel by the myriad of complexity that actually is there in the background and so that it's been my focus really with the teams that I've worked with to try and help navigate a way through that so that the pharmacists who've worked in the organisations I've been supporting can try and focus on what they do best, which is supporting patients, giving great care and making a difference to the people in their in their communities. Alongside that, I do um, some work with Keele University, supporting the students there, talking about safety and standards and helping make those connections to what's happening in community pharmacy. And I'm currently the chair of the Community Pharmacy Expert Advisory Group at the RPS, and I'm a member of the Antimicrobial Expert Advisory Group. And I do sit on a few NHS working parties just to bring that linking between what's happening in community pharmacy, uh, what's happening in a regulatory perspective, and trying to join the the dots so that we're not all working in silos mm. and what what was you know when you worked for well what was your um obviously a lot of what uh, your job will have been confidential and so on and so forth but what was there anything you can remember about working for well that you're really proud of I'm really proud of trying to simplify things like the standard operating procedures, trying to take away additional workload and burden, be that voice for the pharmacists, the technicians and all the teams. The superintendent, you know, contrary to a belief, is not the person who's there to necessarily stop things happening. The superintendent is there to make sure that anything that does happen is done and meets the standards and protects the public. But also, I always saw myself as being a champion of 
of the people who are employed there because when you've got a large organization not everybody has a voice so you're being that voice so the thing I'm proud is always being accessible to the people who are working at well making sure that if people wanted to speak to me they could contact me direct I always had my contact details in the public domain and I made a point of going and speaking to people doing branch visits finding out what was going on and championing that voice back to the senior to the senior leaders sure something um something you said there was quite funny and, and resonated with me like um I used to work for Boots as well and um I'm sure everybody's got a story to tell about working for Boots, and, and it's amazing how many people um, you come across have have done some time there. But the annoying thing is that um, if I'm in a difficult situation when I'm out practicing at the moment, annoyingly, I don't know if Stephen Watkins or some of the senior guys from Boots listen to this podcast, but annoyingly, I often fall back on my Boots training, and and I hate to admit it, but um, yeah, they're 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 um, post qualification training um and you know all this all the processes and all that sort of stuff is it's sort of it becomes embedded doesn't it you know somewhere in your brain so no it's interesting and one thing i wanted to ask because we so i want to speak in a minute about um community pharmacy in, in england um and uh, and maybe Wales and Northern Ireland. We 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 i i'm quite close to what what's happening in scotland and we we actually had a really a really insightful chat with Richard Stevenson, who is the chief operating officer at Right Medicine Farm. I'm sure you know Richard. Um, so we were having really, like, like the last podcast was really interesting about all about Pharmacy First Plus and like some of the challenges and opportunities as well. So 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 that conversation starting to open up around what all that prescribing stuff looks like, which we could come on to. But I suppose... Before I go on to England, what is it over your your career? Because you've been in pharmacy, Janice, for a number of years now. And you've probably been in lots of situations, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and you've got loads of ex- buckets of experience right from, you know, ground level practice right up to sort of national roles. I mean, Wells, one of the biggest pharmacy, community pharmacy chains in, in the UK, isn't it? When you left it. So... What 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 has changed over your career, and um, and is it for the better or the worse? So I think what's changed is the way that we've. When I first started, the majority of what happened as a pharmacist was about prescriptions and mm. about o- and about OTC medicines. Um, with a bit of emphasis around vitamins and supplements and other and other treatments over the years we've clearly progressed to utilizing our skills and and actually i am so pleased that with that now community pharmacy is getting forgetting about the funding for just for a minute but in terms of the content and the things we're doing the, the community pharmacy contract in all the in the countries is actually now about what Originally, when I went into pharmacy, I was hoping pharmacy would be. It's just taken an incredible amount of time to, you know, to to get there. Um, but the th- the whole thing about pharmacy is that everything is inter interlinked, and that's the that's the challenge. So. It's great that we're moving into services, utilising our skills. Clearly, the degree course has changed hugely over the, the period of time that I've been in the profession, and quite rightly. But everything's a fine balance. So we can have lots more services, but services, funding, workforce, everything, they're all interlinked. And none of those things can happen unless they're being looked at in the in the round. So it is fair to say that years ago, it was a different financial situation. And there were far more people in pharmacy teams, but we didn't have automation then. We didn't have the same technology. The computer systems were different. So all of those things are all a fine balance. And really what we're trying to do now in community pharmacy is to use all the facilities that we have and all the tools and techniques to make pharmacy as safe and efficient as it can be so that the the people who are working in that environment have the time and the capacity to spend with patients. So all the things that wrap around in terms of automation, 
technology are not designed to replace the people. They are there to mean that the people can use those skills because the, we know the public want face-to-face -face interaction. It might be face-to-face -face digitally as opposed to face-to-face -face actually in a premises, but we need to use technology to mean that we can free up the, the capacity. There is a workforce crisis happening you know, mm. across all the countries. Um, and there's lots of reasons, you know, why that's happening um, and probably too many to go into now. But unless that all these problems are tackled at the same time and, and not in an individual way, then we are going to struggle. But putting that to one side, the fact that pharmacists are now and their teams, because pharmacy is not a solo sport, the pharmacist is supported by a fabulous team. I'm a great believer in technicians, pharmacists and everybody else in the pharmacy team working together to give the best patient care possible. And sometimes the pharmacist is not the best person to be providing that part of a service. So again, it's about looking differently. Now, years ago, that didn't really happen. The, the pharmacist did all that kind of stuff and the team did, did other things. And I think that's such a big step forward that we've got multi-skilled and multi-talented teams all utilizing their skills and knowledge for you know for, for the benefit of patients and um, have we got it right yet absolutely not there's a huge number of challenges in community pharmacy but, but the, the challenge is there for all of us to work on how how can we improve that and mm. make it be make it be better and it's difficult you know if it was easy it would have happened by now it's not easy but but there's a lot of people in pharmacy and if we were all pulling in the same direction all trying to make a small difference. A lot of people making a small difference to try and improve things would have a huge impact. So if you if you were if you were starting again, um, would you buy a pharmacy in England as an individual? Actually, yeah, actually funnily enough, um, I was having a conversation the other day, and I'd never ever wanted to own my own pharmacy years ago I always wanted to be part of an organization and be part of a you know a big team and to, mm -hmm. to make a you know it's all about making making a difference but people make a difference in different ways mm -hmm. <laughs> funnily enough though I have recently and I'm you know I'm, I'm past that point now and I'm doing other things but I thought I actually thought I'd love to have a pharmacy and mm -hmm. and I would take all the things that I've learned over the years and some of the great people I've worked with and almost, if I could, in an ideal utopia, bring together all these great people I've worked for and have the most super duper pharmacy doing the best of everything would be what <laughs> I'd like to do. Now, I appreciate that that is probably, you know, a, an impossible, an impossible dream. But perhaps the fact that I've worked in a large organisation now, I've got that that freedom to be able to have been able to step back from it slightly and you can see things differently you know yeah. it, it would be quite liberating to take the best of lots of things you've seen and just be able to try it somewhere and say actually you know could we make that work and there's some really pioneering pharmacists around the country who are who are doing great work in their own pharmacies yeah. um and you know in some respects it's easier to bring about a change if you haven't got a large number of pharmacies because it's more in your control it's like turning the titanic in a large organization mm -hmm. so people say it's easier in a, if you're in a multiple environment somebody will say to you oh, it's easy you work in a multiple if you're in a multiple people say it's easier in an independent it's not easier it's just different it's different yeah. challenges different ways of working but things you know smaller companies and independent pharmacies are far more agile and able to respond quicker because they don't have some of the constraints that go with being a large organization. So I think there's something, there'd be something quite liberating about working with some of the fabulous people I've worked with over the years, having this pharmacy, lots of consultation <laughs> rooms, doing all these brilliant services. That's assuming, of course, that somebody wanted to, you know, to actually commission them. But I would love, I'd love a number of pharmacies to have the opportunity almost to restart again and just mm -hmm. say, could we, if we could take take them out of the system and just say, let's go and do it as some kind of complete concept. There's nothing to do with the rest of the framework. Let's just try it and see what the art of the possible is. I think we'd be really surprised. And that's what they do in technology, don't they? They do these sandpit things where they take things out of the system mm -hmm. and do it. You know, it's a bit more difficult when you've got regulations and, and NHS contracts, but it's almost like you could do with just taking a little bit of the country carving it off and saying let's try something completely different here without any of the current constraints and let's as long as it's safe let's just see what happens 
But you do you do make you make a you make a good point, an interesting point actually. It's something I um talk about quite a lot. And it's this um I think I spoke I spoke to Richard about this as well. Um you know it there's it's difficult, like it's difficult. I think particularly in England, it must be absolutely horrendous to think how on earth do I keep my business going? You know, mm-hmm. how do, how am I going to fund my community pharmacy when when there's so many threats? I mean, for for me as an outsider looking in, um, the the big threat for me is really the online players. You know, the the growth of pharmacy to you, um, and and similar has been absolutely spectacular, and and the amount of investment that's gone in there is absolutely crazy. Um, and I think I read this year they they made profit for the first time, which is mm-hmm. which is interesting in a, in and of itself because you know the, there's going to be obvious players in the market who are going to come in and you know potentially buy them. I think, um, mm-hmm. but like I'm totally outside. I'm quite unusual now. I, I am still practicing and I enjoy the the local and stuff, and I've got pharmacy and pride. Do all do all do a range of stuff, but I'm very conscious that I'm like outside the system. At the moment, um, so that's why it's really interesting to speak to you, Janice, because what I'm fascinated by is like you know, you know when you were working with in well, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that your team saw coming down the track as opportunities and threats? Um, I mean, did was there conversations around the likes of online pharmacies and stuff? Because of course in Scotland we we thankfully CPS has had the foresight to to guard against online um, players. Um, and long may that make it continue. I think all the contractors would agree with that. But what's so what sort of things were you, were you seeing as opportunities, threats? How was the business developing? And, you know, where... I think the opportunity, I mean, the opportunities depend on what you want your strategy to be as any as any organisation. It's not the superintendent's job necessarily to, you know, to, to set the strategy. But overarching goal I would say in any of the big players is around uh, um, giving communities that they are choosing to operate in now that will be done in different ways in different parts of the country because obviously there's different formats I mean I never personally saw online as a huge threat clearly well um, did did start developing its own online pharmacy I think I think you can choose to see everything as a threat or you can just choose to see that things are Things are developing. I mean, I was around when um, when GSL Medicines went out onto open on open sale, and everybody thought the the world was going you know going to end. But things do we do evolve, and I think you know one of the things is that a pharmacy doesn't adapt and doesn't seize opportunities and think about how it's going to deliver services and care to the public. People will go will choose to go elsewhere so I think it's about giving people a choice so online pharmacy is a great asset to the profession in my view it, but it's not right for everybody and it's not right in every circumstance so you know when people just want to get something and have it on a regular basis and they don't need much interaction they might choose to do that but if you look at lots of market research people choose different types of care and provision depending on the situation if they're fairly confident they know what's wrong with them then they're quite happy Lawrence or that connection then they choose to go and do things face to face so you know I, I've done um, you know when I was in a patient safety group uh, pharmacy mm. to you were actually part of the patient safety to group and their superintendent phil's a great a great guy um it's interesting that you know some of the patient safety challenges are different in online pharmacy so you'll, oh, you'll right. know um, and all pharmacists know that look look alike sound alike drugs is a real challenge in community pharmacy um because you do get picking picking errors with technology and obviously uh, pharmacy to you and other online pharmacies are generally hugely automated some of those errors that occur in 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 a bricks and mortar pharmacy don't don't occur in the same way because of they're using technology and barcode scanning um so there's 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 benefits there's benefits of you know dispensing in a different way automation can help make makes um make pharmacy safer by removing some of the human factors that we all know come into play in 
terms of picking and selection, distractions and things like that. So I don't think it's about anything's better or worse than the other. They're just different. And at different stages in people's life cycles or in their stages of their health journey, they will pick what's right for, for them. And I think it's right to right to have a, you know, right to have a choice. I don't I don't see it as a threat. I think it just forces us all to think differently um, and not just to, to stay as we as we are. And automation has got a huge part to play in keeping patients safe. However, automation in whatever form it is um, costs a lot of money, which then is going back to my point before. Is, you know, all these things are interlinked. People will invest in automation um, and in, in improving their pharmacies, but they need to know that that what the future funding is going to be because people need to plan and they need to yeah. plan to invest. You know, so you're not going to invest even. I mean, whether you have that money in your business or you have to go and borrow it and speak to the bank or however you get your you know your investment funding, people need need certainty. It's no different in pharmacy than any other walk of life. We all have to budget. It's just a different kind of budgeting. Whether you're a one. Um, solus pharmacy or a large chain you still have to budget you still have to plan we all have responsibilities of bills to pay employees to pay you know because part part of being a business is you owe it to your business and to your patients and to your employees to be sustainable and that's why it's so important that we have sight of what the funding is going to be in the future and we know that it's sustainable because we have a responsibility to be sustainable and we owe it to the communities where we're all trading to try wherever possible to be a viable pharmacy. Because the last thing people want is pharmacies closing in locations where they're providing such a valuable service because the people who suffer then are the people who live in that location and the well, employees I, <clears throat> that are losing lose their jobs, if that's what turns out to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always thought there's... Uh, the, the community pharmacy network in the UK is a bit... There is an element of of the cell upwards to the NHS and so on that that it's a network of outlets, um, you know, spread um, by population uh, hinterlands across the country. Which is so. So when things are going well, um, maybe isn't of too much value, and it's maybe a bit a bit more of an expensive way to deliver drugs to the patient. From an NHS point of view, however, when something like a pandemic hits, it's really handy to have yeah. a community pharmacy down the road, and um, and I'm not I, I I do not wish to sort of virtue signal about how amazing community pharmacy is, but really and truly, like when COVID hit, the um, the network across the UK um, delivered, I think, in a fairly spectacular way, just by keeping the front door open was quite remarkable. I think mm -hmm. I think supermarkets and supermarket workers and also food and and then and then drugs. So so community pharmacy stayed open. So I suppose I take your points around online pharmacies and stuff. I, I just I hope the politician politicians as you well know tend to be quite short termist. Mm -hmm. So Online pharmacies are the new, they're the new shiny thing, you know, and, and it might seem really handy to put all investment through one or two big companies and so on and so forth. And it's really efficient. But I think I think that network aspect um, needs to be remembered, really. I don't know if you agree with all that. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to think about, you know, that pharmacy is about the supply of medicines but it's not only about the supply of medicines um services and general health care and social prescribing and that role that we played within the pandemic which was that connecting people being that person at the end of the phone to reassure the elderly i mean i'm so proud of how the whole profession stepped up in the pandemic yeah it was um, and you know it it what it was amazing and it would make an absolutely brilliant a brilliant film um, yeah. but we need to we need to capture that because the, the supply the supply function is really really important it needs to be done efficiently and safely um, and supply and services sometimes need to be linked because the service is linked to the into the supply the reason that everybody wants to dispense though is because that's currently where the majority of the money is yeah. um so if 
if the money was distributed differently or the pot was made bigger and carved up differently, then it gives you different different options. Clearly, at the moment, everybody is worried about not dispensing because that's what's keeping the lights on in their pharmacy. And whilst a lot of the services um, are starting to come through, they are not all services that anybody has to take so you can have a service available and it can be and it could be a well-paid service but it's only a well-paid service if somebody needs it and comes and utilizes it you can't force patients to want to come and access a service it's an opportunity there for you but that's also about um the governments in different countries also helping spread the message about what the role of pharmacy is and what the role of pharmacy isn't in the same way as you need to do that about all different parts of the NHS. But ultimately, there is not enough money in the pot for all the things in England that the government want to happen and it is stretching too thin. So we can give, we could give far more care than we're currently doing now but only if there's more money in the pot because more money in the pot would mean we can make it a more attractive place to work in community pharmacy so that we can recruit more people and train people and then more importantly retain them so we have to make community pharmacy an attractive place to work and if it's not an attractive place to work and that's not just about salary it's about working working conditions environment how the public in some locations treat their pharmacy teams to come and work in pharmacy not just as pharmacists because it's not just about saying we need pharmacists we need people who are coming through the education system saying i want to be a technician i want to be a pharmacy assistant i want to go and work in a community pharmacy and because we need everybody at those levels we need people who want to come and be the delivery drivers because every role within community pharmacy is playing a huge part and no one part of it can do it on its own do you think community pharmacy is still an attractive because everyone's speaking about workforce aren't they so mm-hmm. and, and 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 it is painful i've seen it with my my own eyes you know um yeah it's it's just difficult to get all find all members of the team not just pharmacists at the moment but mm-hmm. do you think taking a step back from that immediate problem um and as you said earlier there are loads of reasons for that which would be a whole other podcast but yeah. do you think basically for the youngsters coming out of pharmacy school community pharmacy where does it rank now you know like in the in the sort of career choices so you've got general practice pharmacy has really come on and and there's PCN pharmacy roles in England now, you know, um, and then you've got your traditional community pharmacy roles, pharmaceutical industry. Where does community pharmacy rank, do you think now? And is is there a good, um, is there a rich career to be had still? Um, I think there is a rich career to be had, but like any career, it depends on where you're working, who you're working with, who are the people you're connected with. I I worry that a lot of the of the people coming out of university who are going to do their foundation work year wrongly believe that only secondary care is clinical. Mm-hmm. You know, and the you know it, it's different. Community pharmacy is different. I do believe that portfolio working will become a bigger part. You know going going forward uh, but some of the decisions depend on what's important to individuals and will depend on what's happened in in their time at university what experiential learning they've had but the challenge with the experiential learning and it's the same when patients have an experience if you go somewhere and you have a poor experience then that clouds your your vision of what you think the whole thing is. So, you know, some some GPs themselves, you know, think community pharmacies are brilliant. Some GPs don't, but that mm. depends on who they've interacted with. And it's the same for pharmacy students. If they go somewhere and have experiential learning and work with a fabulous team, get good support, development, really have a good time, can see that they've met all the, the learning outcomes, then they will go with a really way with a really positive view of community pharmacy. If they don't get that, and then they go go to, so that's why they 
it's the, it's all our responsibilities of those of us already in the profession to you know support those people who are who are coming through but also to stop and think about how are we going to make community pharmacy an attractive place to work and it's harder to do it in community pharmacy because of the contractual frameworks that we're under but one of the things that I raise in lots of meetings that I go to is that we need to stop and look at the contractual framework because now those people who want to work in any health setting and particularly in a healthcare setting you know there are different priorities for people in their working lives now around flexibility about the things that they want to be able to do so we need to take a step back in my view and just look at those things and say what is it possible to to do the fundamental thing that I think is stopping some of these ha things happening is that I'm not sure that we that we are always trusted I think mm. there's 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 a difficult thing around um if if things are relaxed in inverted commas and frameworks um, and we're left to do things, I won't I worry that perhaps um the people who are doing the commissioning of services and the contracting, because it is taxpayers' money and we need to be accountable for mm -hmm. taxpayers' money, are worried that um they that then things won't happen as they want to want to happen but we do have to have professional professional trust of each other you know i firmly believe that some of the the contractual arrangements could be relaxed and that we would all of us would still deliver what was what was needed but there could be more flexibility in the way that 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 is done which would mean that we could consider some different things about how how people work in the workplace and we have to think about what the, what people are going to want in the future and if people can go work somewhere where all their list of working requirements is met and only a few of them are met in community pharmacy then they will choose and it's not it isn't just about money in fact money is only it's only a small part of it how yeah. people's working environments the culture how they feel a part of the team the support and development that, that they they may have have access to the time to train and a whole host of other things you know we could have a list as long as your arm all those are what's influencing um people's decision making but the thing that i think influences people's decision making uh, more than anything is the role models that they come across so mm. all of us have the power to influence and be ambassadors for the profession by how we talk about it, about how we support people. And that's why I do a lot of the coaching and mentoring that I do. And I, I support people. Even when I was a superintendent at Well, I used to help people from other organizations, other companies that people might say were competitors, you know, about having conversations. Help, if they wanted advice, I'd say what I would do, try and coach them through it. But we, we've all got that opportunity to be ambassadors. We're all leaders in the profession. <clears throat> all leaders to a different way leadership is not just about being somebody who's high up in an organization every professional every pharmacy professional is a is a leader we just mm. all lead in different ways but we, we we've got all of us could be ambassadors and we need to talk positively about the profession and even when we're facing into the challenges there's ways of talking about the challenges that show we are committed to fixing them um, and that we want to we want to do that, but we need to take people with us and get more people involved. Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've had experience of um, working in general practice and also large number of roles in community pharmacy at various levels and locations and all sorts of things. But um, I think I think if, I think there's this, you know, when we're discussing these type of things, there's quite a and probably I cage the question in a binary way. Actually, you know, it's here or here there's every every route is different and I, I I don't know I'm an optimist so I I just think you know if, if whatever route you choose a, a lot of it's what you make of it too you know mm -hmm. um and and it's how you approach your career um I think I've always been minded that you know you've really got whenever you qualify you really got to put your head down and learn how to be a pharmacist and you know, go through those hard early years, make your mistakes, learn, evolve, become more experienced, and then you can branch out and do do whatever you want. But I think, um, I mean, a year or two ago, like working for pharmacists working in general practice was seen like, you know, like the sunny uplands, the, you know, like <laughs> the road to road to heaven, you know, but even even interesting and exciting roles like that are, they're going to be challenging because you're eventually going to get 
you're going to hit the constraints, aren't you? And that and those constraints could be in general practice. You know, sometimes it could be difficult working in a in a team, multidisciplinary team. We're not so used to that. You know, there's different pressures to community, like working in general practice, a lot of responsibility on you, especially if you're prescribing. Um, but each role, I think, has its own merits. And I, I agree with you what you're saying about um, you know, how how everyone in the profession should no, I don't I don't think we need to be like you know like deluded or or no. like overly positive but it there is a certain amount of yeah you've got to be proud of of whatever route you choose and yeah. and present that in a positive light to the youngsters coming through yeah proud passionate professionals is what i talk to people about that's what we need to to be not not being deluded as you say you know and it's about being a realist and saying but then yeah. being positive about how the challenges can be addressed it's not about ignoring challenges but just going back to what you said about careers um the days of you know careers where you just go straight up this this ladder it doesn't really work like that now and, it, and it's much better that it, it doesn't I mean um I don't know whether the people listening to the podcast have read the book about you know squig squiggly careers uh, but that's a, a fabulous a fabulous read but you know, careers are about what you make of it and you have different directions you want to go in at different times in your life, often dictated by outside mm. um, forces about things that are happening in your family. I mean, you know, the working career now, you know, you could, you could have 40, 50 years as a working as a working career easily um, if you choose to do that. Um, and there's no need to necessarily rush to get to somewhere, you know, so you can go via a more circuitous route that just gives you different experiences of thinking. So the more opportunities you take in your career for however long a period of, of time you do them, that all giving you different skills, different perspectives, different networks that you can call on at future points in your, you know, in your career. And as I say, there's no rush. Um, I mean, I've always, I've always set myself the challenge that whatever I'm, I'm doing for me, what's important is to make a difference in that, in the role that I'm in at the time and to, move the conversation on so when I left well uh, you know everything wasn't perfect in well I hadn't finished my role as the superintendent there's lots of things that IFTI now needs to take forward but I'd like to think I'd move things on than when I first became the superintendent and somebody else picks the baton on and it's actually really good for careers for people to move on because that gives the opportunity to the you know to the to the next generation of people it's not that anybody's better or worse than anybody else they just have a different approach and a different style and that again takes the business this forward so it's good to have that kind of churn and you know mix mix of different thoughts but what's important for the for any individual on their career journey is just to stop and think about what they've actually achieved because most of us forget we're so busy doing stuff all the time we don't give ourselves enough time to reflect we think a lot as human beings about all the things we haven't done and the hundred things on our to-do lists we haven't done this i haven't done that but when you just stop and think and you look back you realize all the things you have achieved yes there'll be still things to do but we need to reflect on that and they're the things you know if everybody achieved a little something every day then as i said before all those little things add up doesn't it yeah you know, definitely um, that I, little I, thing might be just, you know, that kind word to a patient or some difference. You know, they don't have to be big things. I mean, we sometimes focus too much on things being, oh, I didn't do anything really significant. That right word at the right time in the right way to a patient can have a life changing, you know, impact on, on them. And, you know, the power that we all have as healthcare professionals to just make a change in somebody's life just by a word and the difference we make every day. We forget that. And we do, we have a huge impact every minute of every day just by yeah. being there, let alone before we say anything or do anything. I couldn't agree more. I used to I used to work somewhere and um I delivered a prescription to this old lady. She's passed away now, unfortunately, but um I delivered it every month because because <clears throat> shortly after I opportunistically delivered it the first time, um I realized that she she doesn't she didn't really see anyone. Um and and I was one of the only, and she was on my way home, so it wasn't exactly like, you know, it wasn't traveling miles, but nonetheless, she got to know our family and, um, you know, and then she, she sadly passed away and so on. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. It's like things like, as you say, Janice, um, 
having an impact because of your status as a pharmacist or pharmacy team member um, quietly when no one's looking, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. always need to be a fanfare, but or, or yeah. you know, I'm amazing on Twitter or something, you know, yeah. no, it's, it's just those quiet moments. And I would suggest yeah. to pharmacists or folk coming up in their careers, once, once you get past this need to sort of, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but a lot of folk are, you know, oh, I'm so amazing kind of thing, post it on social media and so on. Once you get past that and reach acceptance that you um, you can make a real massive difference, it's really satisfying being a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you don't have to, you don't have to tell you know you, the people that matter are your patients and they and they know yeah. if you do a yeah. good job. Yeah, it's so, not about necessarily shouting about it all the time. But going back to what I said about being pharmacy ambassadors, when people say to me, you know, if I was talking to somebody, who might be thinking about pharmacy uh, or students when I'm at the university. It's those little things. It's not about saying, oh, you know, you should come and be a pharmacist because you can be the superintendent of a large organisation. I mean, if that's what they want to do at some point in the future, but that's not in their short term career plan. Yeah. They're going to be the superintendent of a large organisation because it doesn't happen like that. However, the reason you might want to do it is because of that huge impact and that social capital and that making a difference and knowing that you're using your <clears> skills <throat> that, that are adding this real value to to people who value that every every single day. And it's talking about those examples, you know, and often people have experienced in reverse and say, oh, yeah, you know, the pharmacist who came to see me grandma, because most people who are picking pharmacy as a career tend to be, you know, younger people there are mature students but the majority are younger you know 18 kind of 19 age going there most of them are reasonably well and have not experienced any you know conditions that they're living with some will be but the majority Mm. aren't um they they obviously are unlikely to have had a huge amount of life experience and most of the things that they're going to be dealing with as a pharmacist they have yet not yet come across in fact most people now going to you know to university haven't really even been in a pharmacy yeah you know so that there's a steep learning curve of of how that how that happens which is why the experiential uh, learning elements of the degree are now so valuable because other than that it's just theory isn't it you know people don't know some of those things they don't know what a prescription is. Some people have never had a prescription or not to their knowledge. So there's a lot, a lot to take in. But pharmacy is not just about services and about supplying medicines. It's about that, you know, that advice, that support, the healthy living, the, you know, the taking care of yourself before you get ill. And that's a, where we can make a huge impact, isn't it? So yeah. fine. If you then need something, yeah, certainly we can prescribe something will help you with it but we're about trying to help change behaviors help people live well early on so that we reduce the reliance on medication and other interventions you know later on so mm-hmm. that pharmacist helping with education in schools you know going in and talking to children about you know those decisions you make when you're a child influence some of those things you do as an adult you know so helping people understand that you know children that you don't you know going to a and e is not necessarily what you should do if something if you don't feel well that you might go to a pharmacist then if they can see see pharmacists they see people in their community you can go and meet people then you start to spread that that view about what we're doing as a profession people people remember that children remember that say oh that pharmacist came in to talk to us at school and she told us about this that and the other but we can all do things like that with a little bit of effort or going to speak to brownie groups guide scouts whatever lots of us can do things that don't take a huge amount of time to just spread the word about what pharmacy does and that might be that one person you inspire to says i'd like to do that when i grow up Mm -hmm. um just just to finish um a hot topic at the moment. Well, there's lots of stuff going on. We've covered we've covered some of it, but um, time is against us, unfortunately. Um, one of the big things that's coming down the track is every pharmacist who qualifies will become a prescriber. This is, I'm sure your your community, you know, your RPS community pharmacy group is all over this topic. So, with your just to finish with your superintendent hat on, what? What opportunities and what risks do you see with that, first of all? And also, um, does how will, how would that be funded? Like, I, I've heard, um, well, it's been mooted, hasn't it, in England, that um, a version of the Scottish Pharmacy First 
service maybe in the offing possibly maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> not, not sure um so so what what like given your experience with well you know if if this if suddenly you were presented with like i don't know a hundred prescribing pharmacies across the the well estate what what would you see the opportunities being and what what would the risks be and how would you mitigate them so first of all i think it's great news that pharmacists are going to be prescribers and there's going to be that opportunity for those people who have already finished their degrees to if they want become prescribers and i think it's clear to say this is not compulsory people do not have to be a prescriber so there is there is a choice there but the, but the choice will be there for those people who are not currently prescribers to go through the training so I think what again it does by having prescribers is it creates flexibility and accessibility so this is not necessarily about pharmacists prescribing all the time um, and actually currently if there's lots of people who are prescribers the challenge is they're not actually prescribing because the the infrastructure to facilitate them to prescribe in an effective way is not in place. Now, who knows what will happen about the Pharmacy First scheme in England, but I think the fact that there's a conversation going on, and obviously I'm not in that conversation, but the fact that conversation is happening um, gives me hope that there will be something, whether it turns out to be Pharmacy First or a variation on that, but there's clearly going to have to be something because it would be a waste of investment to get every pharmacist to be a prescriber if there's nothing at the end that you, that you can actually do with it so it would make it makes sense for the government to come up with something and and however they choose to to fund it i think the things that need considering along with actually doing the qualification are more around the best practice of being a prescriber so uh, the work that uh, myself and the community pharmacy expert advisory group have done is to support the team at the RPS. Probably most pharmacists start off prescribing in one or two therapeutic areas, either an area that they've already got interest in or something that they that they seem to have more knowledge in. Um, but obviously we want to branch that to branch out over a period of time. So that helps people assess their levels of knowledge and their competence and as much as anything, their confidence, because a huge part of prescribing is about being confident in your professional decision making. So wearing a superintendent type hat, then I think the things that need to be thought about are around the, the risk frameworks. So anything that happens in any healthcare profession will all, always carry a risk. And our job is to manage the risk, not to be risk averse, but to manage in a way um, that minimizes it. So the frameworks that will need to be in place are around um, the challenges of maybe prescribing and supplying in the same premises not all drugs are necessarily of an equal risk so there'll be certain conditions and certain drugs that might need to be considered in a different way so i think there's a role for superintendents and people like the advisory groups to play in probably just building some frameworks and some questions that prescribers could ask themselves about how they might want to practice. So it's not about giving the answers. It might be about giving some suggestions, some suggestions that says, these are the things you need to consider in your risk framework. Here's some things that you might need to do to mitigate it. Mm -hmm. When is it appropriate to prescribe? When is it not appropriate to prescribe? What do you do if? So it's those questions to ask yourself so that we know what the practicalities are. So I think we've got to remember that at the behind all of this, we are doing this not so that we can all just be prescribers and tick a box. We are doing this for the benefit of patients so that patients can have better access. So what we want is the journey and the experience of the patient to be seamless so that they have a really good um, interaction with a healthcare professional. They are confident in the outcome and that whatever the pharmacist prescribes or in some cases doesn't prescribe, all that is fully documented, is able to be put into the system so that other healthcare professionals know. Because we're not working in a silo now, we're part of a multidisciplinary team. And we need to make sure that interoperability of all the technology is in place before mm. we're all off prescribing so that people can see what we've done. So all the pharmacists can see what we've done and so all the people who are responsible for that person's care can see what we've done. Because if we're all sharing in the record, 
then of course we need to have that information in order to make the best informed decisions we don't want to be making prescribing decisions with only half a story so yeah. we need all the the facts so there's there's a few things practical things that need to be true before people start off on a on a prescribing um service However, there are also a lot of very effective and efficient prescribers out there who've been working in this field for years, and we need to harness their knowledge and expertise because that's the best way for us all to learn is to take the skills of other people and their learning, what's gone well and what's not gone so well, and then use that to build the framework so that we can all learn from that. I mean, in an ideal world, everybody who's a prescriber would have somebody as a mentor or a coach or somebody that they can liaise in with just to just to check in on a regular basis because it can be quite isolated. It's isolating being a community pharmacy. It'll be isolating being a pres prescribing community pharmacist. So we'll all need to utilise our network so we can just bounce ideas off each other and just say, well, what would you do? This is what I was thinking. Can I just, can I just check? Mm. And that's not about not being confident in your abilities, but it's about that quality assurance so that you're, you're keeping up to date and getting other people's opinions and that's what happens in secondary care and in primary care they have those team meetings to discuss that so somehow in community pharmacy we're going to have to recreate that in a way that means even if it's only virtual that means people can contact other people just to get that that support and sometimes there's difficult decisions to be made and when it's a difficult decision sometimes people need to offload and have that ability you know, to speak to somebody else just to clear the head, because we all know that if your head's not clear, you're not going to make the best professional judgments um, that yeah. you can do. So there's a lot of things to think about wider than just the how do we get people through the qualification? It's then the other bits. And that, I think that's where superintendents and, as I say, some of the other groups can make a real contribution to that. Absolutely, no. That's very. It's all very interesting, and, and there's nothing in there I can't. I can disagree with. To be honest, Janice, um, interesting. How you, what language you use, though you you talk about. You just talked about like frameworks there, rather than standard operating procedures. You talk about scope of practice, you know, rather than a procedure. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a there is a subtle shift. Um, and I think I think if if they could get if if the profession could get that right, um, this change that's coming down the track, I think that that could solve. Well, it could contribute to solving some of the workforce issues because there's absolutely no doubt um, working as a prescriber in, in community pharmacy or in other settings as well um, is um, is interesting and mm -hmm. and can deliver impact. So we we um, you've been very generous with your time and. Um, We've we've had a had a lovely chat, so it's been it's been really nice. Um, before I go though, one question that I'm asking everyone, and not <clears throat> not for answering now, but maybe maybe in the comments on LinkedIn or whenever you whenever you think of it, because it's quite a tricky question um, to answer on the spot, to be honest. And I didn't <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared enough to to warn you. So so the question is, what topic um, in pharmacy? Are we not talking about that we should be? So that's that's something to ponder. So right. we've covered. I do, I do have an answer for that if you want. But... <laughs> leave it, leave it, leave it for the comments. Leave it for the right. LinkedIn, and we'll have a have a blather on there. But um, yeah, that's that's because we've covered up. I think we've we've had a wide ranging conversation there about all the various bits and pieces that are happening. So um, yeah, so Janice, thank you very much for your time, and um, I think thank we'll just you. It's been lovely to chat. <laughs>